Hey, Outcomes Rocket friends. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast once again. As a leader in healthcare, you have big ideas, great products, a story to tell, and are looking for ways to improve your reach and scale your business. However, there's one tiny problem. Healthcare is tough to navigate and the typical sales cycle is slow. That's why you should consider starting your own podcast as part of your sales and marketing strategy. At the Outcomes Rocket, I've been able to reach thousands of people every single month that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to reach if I had not started my podcast. Having this organic reach enables me to get the feedback necessary to create a podcast that delivers value that you are looking for. And the same thing goes if you start a podcast for what you could learn from your customers. The best thing about podcasting in healthcare is that we're currently at the ground level, meaning that the number of people in healthcare listening to podcasts is small but growing rapidly. I put together a free checklist for you to check out the steps on what it takes to create your own podcast. You could find that at outcomesrocket.health slash podcast. Check it out today and find a new way to leverage the sales, marketing, and outcomes of your business. That's outcomesrocket.health slash podcast. Welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring health leaders. Today, I have the amazing Dr. King Lee. He's the inaugural dean at Carl Illinois College of Medicine, University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Dr. Lee's experience includes research, clinical, educational, and entrepreneurial roles at the NIH Clinical Center and Stanford University, as well as Wake Forest and Houston Methodist Hospital. He studied physiology and biochemistry at the University of Toronto, earned a medical degree from Toronto, and an MBA from San Jose State University. He's been widely recognized by the Association of University Radiologists in 2018, and he's received several awards in innovation and leadership. This award in particular recognizes a visionary who's made significant contributions to advancing radiology research, innovation, leadership, mentorship, and growth of the RRA. That's the Radiology Research Alliance. He's brought together all of these wonderful experiences and expertise to start the Carl Illinois College of Medicine. So I'm excited to dive into Dr. Lee's experience and then also talk more about the exciting projects that they have going on there. So King, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure. So is there anything in the bio that I left out that maybe you want the listeners to know about? Yes, I think I am also an inventor. I have 17 inventions already. Uh, Wow. I have also some entrepreneurial experience studying uh, uh, biotech companies. So, uh, you know, that aspect also strengthened my experience in uh, putting this uh, new college to uh, work. That's fascinating. I did not know you were an inventor as well. <laughs> and and so this this makes a lot of sense, you know, why you're you're the dean there. But for the listeners that don't know, maybe it would serve to give them a nice introduction about this school of medicine that you guys founded in in Champaign. Yes. So um, the Carl Illinois College of Medicine is the world's first engineering focused college of medicine. So uh, what is uh, engineering Focus College of Medicine. So fundamentally, we're actually uh, combining uh, engineering and medicine in teaching our students. So we actually uh, start by selecting students with quantitative science background in addition to pre-medical 
requirements. So that by the time they come in, we can actually use a curriculum that actually leverages engineering principles and technology to actually teach medicine. So there are many schools uh, before us that have actually layered engineering on top of medicine, but we are not layering, we're actually combining so that when they learn medicine, they learn it through the lens of uh, engineer and also through the lens of basic scientists. So we actually have four pillars in our education. So traditionally it's just clinical sciences and basic sciences. We added uh, two pillars, engineering and also humanities. So that's the fundamental difference between our school and other colleges of medicine. It's super interesting, King, how you guys made a decision, a conscious decision to do this and put together a program, a facility, all focused toward this, especially now in the in the realm where technology just keeps getting better and cheaper. And so I think the need is going to be there for physicians that have that engineering talent. I'm curious, though, what made you decide to get into medicine to begin with? Well, so I've always been interested in the quantitative sciences, and I was debating between the, the high core science, uh, engineering, or medicine. But I learned that uh, in medicine, you can actually combine all of those. So, so to me, that also gives uh, a possibility of helping people. So to me, that was a no-brainer <laughs> to get into medicine at that time. That's really interesting. So we're at the forefront of a lot of new things in, in healthcare. We got value-based care. We've got new treatments for oncology, digital health. Out of all the, the soup of, of new things and buzzwords, King, what would you say a hot topic that needs to be on every medical leader's agenda today? And how are you guys addressing it there at the school? Right. So I think the one thing that people mistake in the technology and medicine is the really technology should be used to strengthen the humanistic aspects of medicine rather than to uh, distance the uh, healthcare providers from the uh, patients or actually uh, not just patients, but anyone that they take care of, whether they're sick or healthy. So uh, in our world, right, uh, we actually want to emphasize rebuilding relationships uh, using technology. So they include uh, human-to-human relationships, human-to-machine relationships, and machine-to-machine relationships. Hmm. So I think that's the hot topic, how to actually leverage technology to enhance relationships is a topic that uh, we focus on a lot. So what would you say an example of how you and your organization approach that, this, uh, how tech can, can enhance relationships. So, for instance, right, so if you walk into a doctor's office today versus walking into a doctor's office 30 years ago, yes. you'll find that most of the technologies that doctors use today in the office has not changed, right? So mm-hmm. you see the stethoscope that was invented 200 years ago. The autoscope, the instrument that doctors look into the years of patients with, was invented 180 years ago. Wow. And this uh, technology is actually low fidelity and they also low efficiency. Why? Because they tie in the four different processes into one. So data acquisition, right? So the doctor has to listen and acquire data mm-hmm. using their own years, right? Which is as we all age, the fatality goes down. Yeah. <laughs> so the second step is uh, data analysis, right? So that too actually requires the brain of a well-trained person, right? 
to actually analyze that data. It's not recorded, so it has to be processed instantly, right? Then you have to have decision-making, right? So you have to combine the data analysis with other data to come up with a decision and then counseling, right? So the doctors has to decide on a course of action and then hopefully get the uh, consent of the patients and proceed with uh, the uh, course of treatment. So you can see all four processes are tied to the most highly paid person in the food chain, right? Yes. If we can divide up the processes and use an instrument to have high fidelity that can actually record the sound, uh, record the waveforms, and then uh, the second step, data analysis, can be uh, uh, using artificial intelligence-assisted analysis and then give the decision support to the physicians. And actually, we can now combine that data with all the other data from the clinical records and uh, elsewhere to give the doctor the best decision support. And then all this can be done uh, right separately from uh, where the uh, doctors sit. So theoretically, it can be done remotely. And this data and the decision support can be then sent to the uh, doctor. The doctor can then right, uh, make a decision and then talk to the uh, patients remotely. So you can mm-hmm. see how by leveraging that type of technology, we can increase the efficiency and quality of healthcare and also make it lower cost and more accessible to patients. That's a really great breakdown and a a good example from a very basic physical to your physician. I didn't realize these uh, instruments were that old, 180 years old on the... uh, Yes, that's why, you know, we still use the stethoscopes almost as a symbol of the physician, right? That's interesting that uh, we haven't really improved that instrument until most recently. Very interesting. Some of these things oftentimes go unquestioned. Listeners, we got to start questioning even the most fundamental things in what we do. It could be those minor shifts that could lead to large scale outcomes improvement and new business models. As you look to approach these two things in in healthcare, it's it's, uh, really important to King's point. Dr. Lee, can you give the listeners an example of how you and your organization have created results with this new campus? Absolutely. So the uh, first thing that we need to do, right, is to actually fundamentally revamp the uh, curriculum. So to do that, we actually, in each of the courses, we have three course directors, Mm -hmm. uh, one from basic science, one from clinical science, and one from engineering. And the purpose is to make sure that the curriculum integrates all those disciplines. And we also have uh, humanities professors that actually look through the threat to make sure that the social aspects, the humanistic aspects of uh, medicine is incorporated in the curriculum. And the curriculum is through active learning in the uh, preclinical years. That means that instead of uh, hearing lectures, right, so the students are divided up into groups of eight, and we give them cases for them to solve. And during the case uh, solving process, they will learn the to use, right, different knowledge base, including engineering, basic science, clinical science. We can also set up cases where they learn, right, the practical, uh, social, and humanistic aspects. For example, imagine you have a uh, heart disease patient coming in, and the patient doesn't even have uh, money 
to fill the prescription. So just writing a prescription doesn't help that patient, right? So if we give the patient zip code to the group and they can look up the uh, a potential support system that can help the patient, right? So that gives them right uh, more training than uh, just uh, learning to prescribe the uh, correct medicine. That's great. Yep. And so tying up this, I think it's fascinating that you guys have have put together this um, system within the organization, you know, the, the science, the clinical science, the engineering, and then the humanities. I really think that that really uh, captures nicely all the elements of medicine and it's great that you're giving students the opportunity to start early on in their career with this one of the things that that has come up in discussions with other healthcare leaders i've had several chief medical officers on the podcast they've said our students are not learning how to be leaders and one of the deficiencies unfortunately as we seek to make physicians leaders of large idns is leadership skills is your campus doing anything to to hone the leadership skills of of these people absolutely so um in the clinical years we want to uh, really stimulate curiosity and creativity in our students so for every clinical rotation our students are required to come up with a new idea to change things. We call them idea projects. And to help them, we actually have engineering rounds. So uh, in clinical rotations, right, uh, the students do rounds with the clinical professors. But in addition to the clinical professors, we'll have engineering professors going to rounds with our students. The idea is that our students are young and uh, they are curious. They will look at the way we do things and they would challenge the way we do things and come up with potential ideas of changing things, right? So there were yes. bounce ideas around with the, both the clinical professor and also the engineering professor to see whether those ideas are actually feasible or have anyone thought of them before or have they done before. So out of each rotation, there will be a new idea. And through the idea projects, one will be selected to be their capstone projects. In the capstone projects, they will be the leader of a team of other students that they select from campus. For example, you can have a business student, you can have an engineering student, you can have even a a design student, right? So they will lead the team to turn the idea into a prototype. So they will learn the actual leadership skills in leading a multidisciplinary team from ideas to a prototype. That's great. Sounds like you guys have captured a lot of the things that have been lacking in traditional medical schools today. And it's uh, it's pretty exciting to hear that you've uh, put it all together as part of a capstone project, sort of from the beginning, just teaching them to question, teaching them to uh, question convention. Yes. I think there are four qualities. We call them the four C's that we emphasize. Okay. Students, right? The first C is compassion because we're training doctors. Second is competence, right? Those two are quite uh, common in other medical school values. But the last two C's are quite uncommon. That is curiosity and creativity. So the idea that in most uh, medical education, we're learning the so-called standard of practice, right? So we were taught when we were going through medical school to learn the standard of practice, uh, almost never questioned, right? Why 
uh, we practice the way we practice. But for our students, we encourage them to actually question, to ask the question why. Typically, we educate the students to ask, right, what, when, and how, and not why. So our students will be encouraged to ask the question, why? Why are we doing this? Why are we treating this patient this way, right? So that is uh, fundamentally different. Yeah, it's, it's that creativity and just understanding the why behind it, whereas before they didn't. Yeah, you know, I had, I don't know if you know uh, Arlen Myers. He's the, the guy that started Society of Physician Entrepreneurs. Yeah, I've known of him. Yes. Yeah, personally, but I've certainly known of him. Yeah, so I, you know, he comes to mind and I, I was at a meeting and he was very passionate about these two pillars, you know, the, the creativity and just being able to be curious. And to your point, Dr. Lee, it's just, I think it's such a wonderful thing to focus on. And the best organizations know how to keep things simple. And you guys have definitely done that with these two pillars to really capture this, this much needed skill and physicians today. So congratulations for being able to, to boil it down to just those two pillars. Thank you. So what would you say, um, King, is, is one of the things that during the inception of this school and everything that you guys did, what was a setback that you guys had that you learned a lot from that you want to share with the listeners? So one of the things that we were actually trying to do, right, to actually finance the actual medical school was uh, fundraising. Yes. So uh, we were actually behind in our fundraising, and the target set for our fundraising goal was very high. So that was a setback that we experienced. But luckily, the university has come up with the support that is needed to uh, give us all the resources that is needed to make the uh, medical school very successful. Clearly, we are continuing to uh, raise money and uh, very actively, actually. But uh, that was a mistake that was made to actually set the uh, fundraising target very high in the beginning. And so you think it would have been better set a little bit lower? Or actually not use it as a major pillar in the beginning for funding the medical school enterprise. Got it, got it. Sort of as a requirement to make it happen. Yes. Yes. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Because obviously, hey, it's not cheap to run a medical school and just being able to not make it a requirement and finding creative ways like you guys did with the university to make it happen. Yes. So uh, we have many ways of making it uh, uh, very efficient. So for example, instead of hiring a lot of full-time uh, faculties, the major advantage for us is we are within a large comprehensive university. So most of our faculties are actually part-time from other colleges. Uh, in fact, we're faculty from 10 different colleges. There is a huge advantage because imagine, right, who can really teach uh, behavioral uh, change and uh, marketing professors from business, right? So we actually have professors from uh, liberal arts and sciences, engineering, business, you name it, all the way to fine arts. So that's why uh, we can be a lot more efficient financially. And also, it builds in from the beginning the multidisciplinary nature of our education, research, and so on. Yeah, fascinating. Well, congrats on being able to make that happen. King, you've had a, a fruitful career. What would you say out of all the things that you've done is one of the proudest 
medical leadership experiences you've had to date? It could be on the business side. It could be on the practitioner side. What would you say? I would say definitely the current job, right? Being the inaugural dean of the Carolina College of Medicine is clearly the most uh, impactful job that I've ever had because we can be seeing the turning point in not just a medical education, the delivery of healthcare in the world. And uh, if you really look at uh, healthcare, right, we are at a time where major changes are required. So the cost of healthcare in this country is already at about 18% of GDP. Mm-hmm. And with the aging population, right, we are at a urgent time to find solutions that can improve the quality, decrease cost, increase accessibility, and uh, increase uh, equity in healthcare. And uh, we believe that technology and engineering can bring solutions that can help healthcare to move in that direction, but we lack the people who actually are trained specifically to do it. And so our school is targeted to that purpose, and that can be the turning point. And being the inaugural dean of this fantastic vision is, uh, is clearly the most impactful job I've ever had. That's outstanding. Congratulations on that. And listeners, if you're looking for a school that is at the forefront of getting things done in the new age of medicine, you guys definitely have to check it out. We'll leave a link for the school as well as the best way to get a hold of the folks over there here at toward the end of the podcast, which we're getting close to. So Lee, getting close to the end, let's pretend you and I are building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful in the business of medicine, the 101 of Dr. King Lee. We're going to build a syllabus with four questions that are lightning round style, followed by a book that you recommend to the listeners. You ready? Yes. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? As I mentioned earlier, is rebuilding relationships. We have to look at how to rebuild uh, a patient-doctor relationships. Currently, right, you only see a doctor once a year or even less, right, when you're healthy, and then you suddenly, right, have to see them uh, more often when you get sick. They really don't know you as a person by the way that we build relationships, right? Very different from the family doctors that uh, was portrayed right, many years ago, like uh, Dr. Marcus Welby that uh, I uh, actually uh, watched when I was a kid. So the way to use uh, technology to rebuild relationship is look at how, for example, I uh, get contact with my grandkids in California, right? I can Skype with them, I mm-hmm. see them and so on, right? How can we actually build relationships again so that doctors and patients actually feel like they are really, they know each other, right? So that's very important. Also, right, building a network of a support system so that the doctors know about not just the patient, uh, people around them, right? The family, the friends, and so on, right? And then the second is uh, so-called person-to-machine relationships, right? Currently, the doctors have a high burnout rate because the electronic health records really require the doctors to enter a lot of data that they're actually draining the energy instead of putting it into patient care, they're actually putting it into uh, capturing data. So that needs to change, right? And lastly, machine relationships. Imagine, right, you have one 
electronic healthcare record, not talking to another electronic healthcare record, right? Patients are actually carrying disk from <laughs> one one doctor to another. Yeah. That needs to change also. So rebuilding relationships fundamentally, uh, leveraging technology, but not to decrease the humanistic aspect, but increase the humanistic aspect is the most important part and the best way to improve healthcare outcomes. And what would you say the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid is? The resistance to change is the major barrier, right? Yeah. So, for example, we as doctors are used to patients coming to see us now. But before the Industrial Revolution, doctors used to go and see the patients. Right. At their home. So imagine you're 83 year old, you're living alone, you're snowing outside, the closest doctor is 35 miles away, and you're sick and you have to drive to the uh, doctor, or you have to call an ambulance to transport you, right? That's highly inefficient and not accessible. So how do we uh, leverage technology to fundamentally change that, bring high-quality healthcare to sick people where they are in situ? That's yeah. absolutely doable, right? Imagine the day when you can actually use Alexa to take the medical history. Love that. Then a drone would send in the right equipment to do the data collection that is part <laughs> of the cloud using artificial intelligence. And then the doctors remotely can come up and say, this is so-and-so, right? I think you have pneumonia. But it's not so bad that you have to go to the hospital. So the next drone coming in would take the drugs to you, right? This is how you take them. If you have any questions, you can call me anytime. And by the way, uh, you can put back all those instruments on the drone and they will fly us back to uh, where we are. So that way you can take high quality medicine to where patients are, right? That's not a pipe dream, right? It can be done using even current day technology. So those are some fundamental changes that doctors have to adapt to, right? Absolutely. And that's a great way of focusing on, on where things could be. What would you say your favorite book that you'd like to recommend to the listeners is? Yeah, the book that I, I like the most uh, in recent reading is called Cancer, the Emperor of All Maladies huh. by uh, Siddhartha Mukherjee. It's a Pulitzer Prize winning book. Hmm. And it's not just talking about cancer. It actually went back into the history of how medicine Modern medicine, the concept of modern medicine, get to the point that we are, right? So it really uh, opens the eyes as to uh, why we feel that modern medicine can cure everything. If you are obese, you want to take a pill, and that's it, right? You're cured, right? That type of stuff. It actually stemmed from the biggest success in modern medical history, which is dealing with infectious disease, right? So you find a very specific course of the disease, you give a very specific treatment, the right antibiotic, and then you're cured. That is the biggest success in modern uh, medical history. And we now have the mindset that everything is like that, right? We call it deterministic. For example, I give you a bug, most likely you get sick, give you the right antibiotics, you get cured, right? Yeah. But most diseases that we'll deal with today Uh, chronic, right? So, Mm -hmm. uh, for example, heart disease, diabetes, and so on. And there's no magic cure. There's no single, right, treatment. Right. A lot of it is actually related to a lifestyle. Everyone knows, right, if you uh, eat well, exercise well, 
you have lower chance of uh, getting a lot of those chronic diseases. But how come, right, uh, we are not enabled to change behavior, right? Because doctors are not trained to change uh, behavior, right? We are used to write, writing prescriptions, right, in the concept of uh, infectious disease. But in the uh, a new world, right, uh, when we are trying to actually do preventive care, prevent diseases from happening, that goes to another core problem that we have is our biomarkers are too late. For example, I can keep checking your blood pressure. By the time your blood pressure is high, it's actually late. I can keep checking your kidney functions. By the time the kidney functions appears abnormal in the lab test, right, you have lost a lot of your kidney functions. So how do we actually give a very good predictive value of where you will be in 30 years and help you change your lifestyle, right, to prevent diseases from happening? Where does that data come from, right? That data actually doesn't come from measuring your blood pressure, your blood sugar, and so on, but actually measuring what you're doing exercising, are you eating the right food, and so on. And that data actually sits in a lot of our digital transactions. As digital transactions become the norm, all that data is actually available. What food are you eating? Are you going to the gym? And with a cell phone in your pocket, theoretically, we can track where you have been. Have you been running? Have you been going to the park? Or have you been sitting? <laughs> yeah. Sofa, watching TV, right? So, so in the New world, right? How do you actually leverage all that data flow to give us much better readout of what we call the risk? So again, most people think of diseases as so-called deterministic. That means that there's a cause, right? And then, you know, uh, it's definitely the result. Just like if I hit you, right, with my fist on your face, you get traumatized, right? That's <laughs> called yeah. deterministic uh, medicine. But most diseases we deal with are not deterministic because stochastic is mm -hmm. chance, right? Not everyone smokes would get cancer, for example, lung cancer, right? Not everyone who don't smoke would not get lung cancer. So it's right. just uh, increased risk, decreased risk, right? The whole mentality of dealing with stochastic diseases versus deterministic diseases is very different. And that mindset is not actually there for both the practitioners and also uh, patients. Fascinating. And like a good professor, you've left us with a lot of questions to ponder. <laughs> so you, you've left us with a good, good, in a good place, uh, Dr. Lee. Before we conclude, I'd love if you could just share a closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could get in touch with or follow you. Well, the closing thought is I think we have a lot of young people with the right mindset that is willing to actually put the energy in helping uh, the healthcare system to perform better, uh, make it uh, higher quality, lower cost, and more accessible and equitable. And uh, the way we, we can help is actually unleash the potential and make them more successful. And the best way to do that is really fundamentally changing the education system. So well, you're doing it. just that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm excited to see your work continue there, Dr. Lee. What would be the best place for the listeners to get in touch with or follow your work? Yes, uh, we have a website called, if you just Google Cal Illinois 
College of Medicine, you get to our website and we have a lot of updated news and so on. So you can actually follow progress or if you want to get in touch with me personally, uh, my email is King. Lee at illinois.edu, and I would uh, welcome the opportunity to uh, uh, communicate with anyone who is interested in what we're doing. Thank you so much, King. And folks, um, I'll put all of the links that King shared, uh, Dr. Lee shared on on the uh, show notes. You could find those at outcomesrocket.health slash King Lee, K-I-N-G-L-I. You're going to find that there, his email, a link to the, the new school and uh, the book that he recommended, as well as the full transcript of our discussion today. So, King, really appreciate your time and uh, your, your insights today. Thank you very much for uh, giving me a chance to share my thoughts with the audience. Hey, Outcomes Rocket friends. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast once again. As a leader in healthcare, you have big ideas, great products, a story to tell, and are looking for ways to improve your reach and scale your business. However, there's one tiny problem. Healthcare is tough to navigate and the typical sales cycle is slow. That's why you should consider starting your own podcast as part of your sales and marketing strategy. At the Outcomes Rocket, I've been able to reach thousands of people every single month that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to reach if I had not started my podcast. Having this organic reach enables me to get the feedback necessary to create a podcast that delivers value that you are looking for. And the same thing goes if you start a podcast for what you could learn from your customers. The best thing about podcasting in healthcare is that we're currently at the ground level, meaning that the number of people in healthcare listening to podcasts is small but growing rapidly. I put together a free checklist for you to check out the steps on what it takes to create your own podcast. You could find that at outcomesrocket.health slash podcast. Check it out today and find a new way to leverage the sales, marketing, and outcomes of your business. That's outcomesrocket.health slash podcast.